it. Hey, Berkey, welcome back to Beyond. Really fired up to have you on the show again. Hey, man, great to be back. I'm glad to be here. I know we always yeah. have great conversations. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, you're a really, a, in my mind, a psychological expert. You've done a lot of work out of Berkeley, um, a lot of research, um, a lot of work in this specific area. And the title of our talk today is really Resignation to Resilience. You know, in this day and age of COVID, it's really easy to be resigned to your fate or resigned to your circumstances. But I think there are some strategies that people can utilize to really have uh, resilience in these crazy times, if you permit. Uh, just to sort of set the audience up, I want to kind of give a little preamble uh, to set the stage of the day and age, which I'm not sure, I'm sure it's not lost on anybody, but over the last few weeks, the media has been full of right. updates about the coronavirus from daily bulletins on the TV to minute by minute stories in your social media feeds. So it's not hard to avoid. As a result, it's produced a lot of um, anxiety on a global scale and the cope uh, strategies like turning off news notifications on the phone and muting people uh, who share misinformation and tapping into trusted sources, discussing fears with somebody you trust um, to eventually distract yourself uh, with something you enjoy. I, right. I, I wanted to read a few headlines, which is just as, as of today. Uh, headlines right. are half of Americans suffering mental health issues during COVID-19, one half. 22 million Americans have filed for unemployment. And of course, COVID-19 likely to transfer or transform the world far beyond the 1918 flu epidemic. Before I get into my first question for you, um, I just want to uh, sort of present a contrast. Um, in 1918, the flu, which killed um, perhaps 50 million people globally and 675,000 people in the U.S., um, a little more than 1% of the population, that death rate today would equal about 1.6 million Americans. So uh, mm -hmm. we're on a similar scale, and it's similar in, in terms of the impact. And the question is, uh, what's, what's the change in, in society and, and what's the lasting changes? So um, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you, when you think about where people are at today and how they're, they're thinking about things and, and coping with things, um, how, how should people think about uh, this current pandemic and how to manage the stress and anxiety they're feeling? Man, you know, it's so interesting because I think, you know, in, in these type of times, we get, we get clarity on the problems we didn't know we had, right? Uh, there's a great quote. It says that uh, hard times make strong men. Strong men make easy times. Easy times make weak men. Weak men make hard times, right? And so it's this process of when we go through difficult times, we're forced to evolve. We're forced to, to strengthen ourselves or kind of get lost by the wayside. And so one of the things that I think is really important is understanding that when we lose our coping mechanisms that we had before, all of a sudden I can't go out and have a drink with the friends. I don't have these other people that I can connect with. I have to be at home, right? I have to be in a space. I have to show up in a different way. I don't have proof of income. All of a sudden the different things that we use to cope are gone. And so we're left with ourselves, which for a lot of people is a scary thing and understandably so. And so it's not so much that, oh, it proves that there's something wrong with us. No, the, the times have changed. And so that means that because of this new normal, we have to create new selves. Like that's just what it has to be. And so methods for coping, man, what I recommend all the time is first and foremost, see what you can control and separate it from what you can't control. In research, it's called locus of control. If it's within my control, then I can change it. If it's not in my control, I have to let it go. Most people are holding on to what's not in their control and they're keeping it close to them. And that's why the news is so scary because you're looking at numbers that no matter what you do, you can't affect or slow the process down. It's going to happen. Whatever it is, it's going to happen. And so level one, I say, is what is in your control? And you just literally make a list. 
these are the things I can control. These are the things that I cannot control. And once you see the things that you can't control, you cut that up and the things that you can't control, you literally crumble up or burn and you throw away. That is the first level because you do not have the cognitive space to be able to worry about things that you can't control. Because if you take that energy, then you don't have the energy to work on the things that you can control. And that only exacerbates the problem. Right. So with the potential for just epic unemployment, in fact, I was reading somewhere that um, up to 30% of Americans will be unemployed. That's millions and millions of Americans without a job and the security and the certainty that the economics provides, whether it's driving their kids to, or pay, paying for their kids' college funds or whatever it may, uh, whatever form it may take, um, that's a tremendous source of security for anybody in this, in this world. So uh, when, when people are facing this kind of level of unemployment and this reality, what approach would you uh, recommend that they take mentally um, that could produce a better outcome. We're talking economics, we're talking money, we're talking right. jobs that may never come back again. Right. Um, how, how would you approach that circumstance? Yeah. You know what? Back in the day, I was a personal trainer. And this is one of the things that I used to talk about before I moved into psychology, before I moved into research and coaching people on being able to become mentally fit. I, I got them physically fit. And one of the cells that I had is there's kind of two ways to get healthy. One is to stay healthy so you don't get sick, right? And the other is to take medication or medicine that you have to take to get yourself back to neutral. Really, at the end of the day, what's most important is it's, it's called salutogenesis. It's you taking care by focusing on what solutions are in your power. It ties back to the what can I change, what can I control, and what can I not control. Things are going to be different. Getting back into the job market is going to be tough. The whole world is experiencing this. We're all going through this right now. And so what the first thing that I recommend that people do is understand that this is going to happen. This is going to be difficult. You're going to experience a lot of emotions and a lot of experiences. You're going to feel out of control. You're going to feel afraid. And that's okay. That's okay. What the problem is, is people don't realize that these fears, that this uncertainty, that it causes a lot of internal kind of turmoil. And if we don't allow people to understand that it's okay to experience that and that you need to experience that in order to get beyond it, then what happens is people try to avoid it. They try to push, they try to reach an impossible expectation of bringing things back to the way they were too quickly. And as soon as they hit the first sign of failure, they think that they, they identify as a failure. So the first thing to do is if I can take this time before I get back on the job market, before the world kind of comes back to some semblance of normal, to work on my mind, to work on my perspective of how I see the world, how I see myself, to understand what I can control and what I can't, to understand the triggers in my mind that move me towards the anxiety and what triggers and choices I can use, such as meditation, to be able to bring myself to more of an equilibrium. Because if you can prepare yourself for what's to come, the emotions, the turmoil, the potential excitement, the letdowns, if you can prepare yourself for those things and have the mental fortitude, then you'll be able to overcome them. Most people won't, which allows you to kind of have that leading edge because you've already done the work in this quarantine space that you have. Right. That's great. You know, and, and that's that's so important. And as I think about the guidelines from the federal government and social distancing and sheltering in place and uh, majority and, and millions of Americans have tried to follow those guidelines. Right. Um, but what's interesting about that is the families have gotten or been forced, if you will, to get reacquainted with themselves in right. a way that hasn't happened for years. Right. Um, and they've had an upend in their daily routines, uh, their connection with one another, 
Um, and oftentimes it's creating very stressful dynamics in the family relationship. So how important is mindfulness and perspective right. in coping with these relational changes? Man, that is such a real thing. And, and you know, I've been, able, I've been able to experience that through even my clients as well. What, what there's something called schema in research. It's kind of the way that you perceive yourself. When I walk into a classroom, I have the schema of a student, right? I then know that the teacher talks, I don't talk. I stay quiet. When I go to uh, the, uh, go dining, which we aren't doing now, but the waiter has a schema and I have a schema of the waiter. I can ask of the waiter certain things because they have that image of what a waiter is. And I have these expectations. So we show up based on our environments. When we have a day where it's me at work, that's my work schema, right? I show up as the, as the employee or the employer. When I come home, it's at nighttime and I become husband, boyfriend, uh, roommate, whatever it is. I show up as that schema. All of a sudden, these other images of ourselves are gone and we are just at home. All of a sudden, we have to show up in a new character at a new time. So people that have known each other for a long time are kind of meeting each other in different ways because they're seeing each other at different times and for consistent amounts of time. That's a stress load. There's nothing wrong with the contention that begins to show up because it's two different dynamics that are showing up. First, we have to honor that. It's okay, right? And it's okay to ask for time. It's okay to distance yourself for a short while. It's okay to com as long as you're communicating. But what, what I tell people is to understand that it, there's a learning curve. And if you know that that learning curve is bound to happen, then you won't be surprised by it. You won't be like, why is this person all, all of a sudden frustrating me? Why am, you know, my kids are here all the time. How do, I, how do I manage them? I don't have the teacher to be able to help. So what happens is you have to understand that the dynamics have shifted. And then once the dynamics are shifted, you have to set new boundaries on how you guys are going to communicate, how you're going to engage in that relationship, how you're going to show up. It's a new world and it's going to take some time. There is a learning curve and it's totally natural. You know, those are good points. And there's some people that are, are, are probably out of their minds. You think about it. Oh my God, man. Kids, uh, who knows if they've lost their job? Who knows if they can work from home? But they have three kids that have to complete the coursework in schools. And right. certainly I've read where the future may be more online learning. And maybe the new normal is social distancing and, 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 and businesses and employees rethinking about how important is it to really be in the office? How important is it to be in in-person meetings? And what is school? And, and I think, you know, for kids, certainly the social aspect's critical at a young age, but I think this right. is going to cause us to rethink some things. And I'm not saying panic buttons going to be hit, but certainly right. reasonable minded people are going to say, what are the risks? And when you think about this pandemic, when is it really over and what's the ultimate impact on a given person? It seems like the COVID virus um, really impacts people differently. Absolutely. And that uncertainty about how it's going to affect you personally may uh, until they get radical testing and lots of testing and uh, people either have been identified as having had it or the antibodies um, I think a lot of people probably take a step back and pump the brakes a little bit and maybe look at a new world order of how they engage with the world. In a huge way, man. I mean, this is, this is unprecedented and we have to just acknowledge that this is new territory. Uh, there are new triggers that are being created. The, the idea, a cough has now become something more than it's ever been hearing a cough. There are people that are trying to hold in coughs so they don't freak people out right? We have been triggered in a totally new way. The world is different. There's nothing we can do about that. And I don't care if we open tomorrow, the world is still going to be different. We are way more conscious about things that we have not been conscious of ever before, right? That's, oh, so true. And it, it's, just, it's just the real thing. And we have to understand that these shifts and dynamics, really flexibility is, is, is the name of the game. The future is in the hands of the flexible. 
And how do you become flexible? It comes back down to being able to control this. Because if you're not trying to control the things you're not controlling, then you have the ability to be flexible and move with the circumstances and the situations. But I always tell people, you have to be ready for change. That's the only thing that's consistent. It's the only thing that's constant. And if you can get yourself to a place where you're able to flex and move with this new reality, then you're going to be able to survive and grow and thrive while others are just trying their hardest or to bring it back to normal or wishing that it was like normal. Normal's out the door and it's going to take some time to get back. Now, that's a good point. It's funny. You talk about change and being flexible. A funny story is I think for the first time, husbands are discovering a whole new wife. And what I mean by that <laughs> is, you know, women can't get their nails done or their eyelashes done or their hair colored or fill in the litany of things that people do right. to look their best. And now you got women that are sheltering in place. And I, I suspect at some level, the husbands are looking like, hey, I got a whole new wife. And I say right. a little bit chung, chung in cheek, but it's true. There's a lot of people from that perspective, our, our emotions and our, our, our confidence is certainly tied into how we look at some level. Um, so what does this teach us about our priorities? I mean, if before we were just the Orange County lifestyle, right. looking good, feeling good and having the goods, yeah. how does COVID really change that dynamic having gone through this shelter in place time uh, yeah. for men and women alike? Man, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting, I, I love this point because this thing single-handedly has become a control test like I, th there's so much research that can come from this really, because it has shifted. This one variable has shifted. It's exposed so much. There's so much of the undercurrent that nobody's really ever taken a look at. And my work is always living in the undercurrent. How can I get people? I have people that are clients that are, that are CEOs, people that are making great, some great amounts of money to draw them in and tell them how valuable it is to let go of what society says is important to come to the inside. This has been my cell, my work. When I'm working as behavior change coach or an organizational change coach, with everything that I'm doing, I have, to, I have to sell the idea that the inside is what determines whether the outside is good or not. And if the outside determines if the inside is good, then the inside is a slave to what happens on the outside, period, right? And so what I have to make sure, I have to sell people on this. And for the first time in my career, the world is selling it. The pandemic is selling it because all of a sudden I can't run outside. All of a sudden I can't escape. There's no escapism. All of a sudden I show up as me. My spouse sees me as me. All my kids see me as me. You know, no matter what it is, my roommate sees me as me. All of a sudden the layers are falling off. I've asked people this, how much money have you saved? Are you going out to eat as much, right? How much money have you spent on gas, right? People all of a sudden are seeing how much money they're spent, they're spending during normal times, how much money they're wasting on things that do not matter. People are learning to cook right now. People are starting to do art right now. All of a sudden, people are starting to come up to this internal space where they're starting to see what's most important. And so as the scales fall off, as, as people start to realize that this surface type of living is unimportant, it doesn't give me the joy that I need. I have to find something that's more lasting. I have to know my mind. I have to understand my habits. I have to know what my trigger points are. I've realized for some reason that spending money actually doesn't make me happier. What it does is this situation creates a huge question mark in our lives. And people are afraid of questions. They want certainty. That's why this is so scary for people. But I will say that this, those who live with questions are seekers. And those who live with questions always find answers. Those who think that things are perfect the way they are can never change. So it's about this place of questioning that is most powerful to, to ensure evolution. 
Yeah, no, that's that's well said, uh, Brooke. And and so as we think about this time, you know, you got couples, and that's a fun dynamic right. and has its own challenges. But then there's millions of Americans that are single and living alone. In fact, I read somewhere yeah. I think one out of four Americans feel completely alone, sometimes even in relationships, but there mm -hmm. are people that are living alone going through this pandemic. And I remember talking to friends yesterday who hadn't seen people for eight weeks except themselves. They've just been right. old in their house. And, and so when I think about the single people out there and the lack of connection, right? Yeah. Um, what are some strategies they can implement to have a healthy or develop that healthy mental perspective as they weather the storm? Because not having that support directly, you know, yeah. they may have, by the way, um, older parents that they don't want to go around right? Um, because, you know, they don't know if they have it. They haven't been tested. But how do they think about going through this time alone as they're sheltering in place? Yeah. You know what? I'm talking like when, I, when I'm doing talks uh, with corporations because they're talking about, you know, what is it like now that my employees are home? How do we keep them engaged, right? They're doing work from home. Everybody's separated. You can't have that same type of build of energy. Same thing works with individuals. How do I connect when I'm disconnected? And what I talk about is breaking the fourth wall. Uh, you've seen like Deadpool, different movies, different shows where the person's talking to camera. All of a sudden they break the entire scene and they break into the fourth wall. And I use that, that kind of concept when what we're doing right now is breaking through the fourth wall. I'm right now, I'm by myself, but I'm connecting with you and we're having a meaningful conversation. And so by being able to understand how to exist in this new digital age is really it's the best way to ensure your survival. We are, we as humans are very connective beings. We work in cooperation. We need to be around each other. We need to be connected. And so one of the things that I'm saying is if you have Zoom, if you have any type of video conference, you need to make it normal. Just as normal as you see your friends by happenstance, by going to the bar, you have to now take the initiative to create that. You have to engage in your relationships. There's different things that I do as well, where I have my clients read off a list of questions to their friends so they can get to know their friends in a new way. I only know my friends in the party environment. I only know my friends in the work environment. What if you ask these questions that take you levels deeper and help you see your friends and relations from a different angle? All of a sudden, a whole new person appears and that incites vulnerability, what opens up your vulnerability. Then you start to talk. Everybody's talking about how they're having more meaningful conversations, just being stuck at home with their family. But for the people that are alone, they have to create their family. They have to go out and initiate. There's a great app called House Party where you can play games. I've had it. I, I, I have a uh, Thrive 19, a COVID-19 support group that I created on Facebook. And what my goal was, was just to create a space for people to kind of get their minds off the negativity. So everybody is putting in positivity. I'm telling them that this is a perfect time for you to create a growth project where you have, the world has stopped, man. The world has stopped for a couple months. And this is a perfect time to find what do you want to grow in? Where do you want to evolve? Find something that allows you to be busy and that fills your brain, not your eyes, not Netflix. You know what I mean? That, that runs out. You'll, I'm sure people are sick of Netflix now. They've seen every show. I'm sure of it. Now it's how do I have more meaning? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny because you could uh, continue to develop the monkey brain, which is TikTok, or you can go to the higher levels thinking cerebral cortex, which is a lot of information out there to really support that. And I think it does give us an opportunity if we so choose yeah. to develop and evolve into a better version of ourselves and take this, this setback or the perceived pandemic as not just a setback, but as an opportunity to leap forward because I'll, I'll you know, this isn't a big stretch, but I'll guarantee you there's going to be tremendous innovations coming from this time and wow. how we interact and how we can make people feel a sense of security and safety. I was talking to a guy at the Rose Bowl 
um, a couple of days ago in one of my shows. Mm-hmm. And I said, how do you get people to come back to sports venues? And I know uh, recently or yesterday, uh, ESPN, um, uh, they, they aired The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, the right. two-part uh, two of the 10-part series. And that's a nice respite for people. But the idea of getting people back um, in big stadiums and amongst oh, themselves, there's going to be tremendous innovation around how you make people feel that there's a, certain, a sense of certainty, safety in doing all that. So to me, um, this is a great time to be alive. And I would, I would argue, I'll predict the economy is really going to come roaring back. I think it's pent up. I think people are ready to spring. And I think the, the foundation's in place to make all that happen. But speaking of business, mm. um, the reality is there's many small business owners that have spent years developing their business, whatever business it may be. And these guys are getting wiped out. And I know, you know, right. the government argues there's payment or there's checks coming in. And some have received it and some haven't. I know the Congress yeah, is coming take. back to approve hopefully another two plus or two point or $250 billion for this program, which is really, really, really incredible. But years of hard, hard work have just been wiped out in a matter of months, if you will. Right. And if you look at the restaurants, they literally have small restaurants have two to three days of cash on hand with more successful restaurants having about a week or maybe two weeks of cash on hand uh, just to make it. So these are, you know, marginal outcomes to say the least, but what is the mindset yeah. that a small uh, business owner has to happen when the economy opens up to take advantage of this new normal? Absolutely. So that's a great question, man. That's a great question. Things are different. And I think one of the most important things is understanding that they are different. If you have the mindset to long for things to be back the way that they were, then it's going to be very difficult for you to experience a space or time of thriving. The mindset that's most important right now, I really believe, especially in this time, is empathy. It's truly trying to see from the eyes of the people that you're serving. Your customers are coming out of a cave. When this all opens up, they're coming out of the cave and they're seeing light for the first time. What happens when you come out of a cave? All of a sudden, people just go like this. Their eyes are shading it. They're waiting for their eyes to adjust to normal. Then they start to open their eyes. We're in a cave right now. And if you are in a service business, if you are in a business that deals with customers, you have to try to see from their space and understand what makes them feel comfortable. For example, right now, uh, these, these, I'm, I'm watching on the news. I'm not the news. I'm watching on the commercials. How are, how are these companies responding to this time? There is a word that has been showing up so often, contactless. Contactless delivery. They're making sure that people know that there is never a point where someone touch the pizza, the DoorDash, whatever it is, because they're aware that people are scared of what if somebody touches it afterwards and they have COVID-19. They understand and they appease the fears of the people. When they do that, they're keeping in mind the customer. This is a time of empathy. What's been frustrating is I've seen a lot of companies on Instagram that are posting like, hey, COVID-19, quarantine, fearful stuff buy my course. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, people don't want to spend money right now. They don't know what the world is going to look like in a month. They don't know what they're, they don't know if they're going to get a paycheck or not. And so getting people to a space where they're able to feel safe, where they're able to feel comforted, where they're able to be seen is one of the most important things. That's why right now where I'm at, I'm not in a space of trying to make money. All I have is a desire, a true desire to authentically put out positive information. I'm giving out free information. We're doing this podcast. We're talking. We're trying to help people. We're trying to support people, give somebody something else to look at so that they can build and develop themselves in this time. And so what I really think is coming from an authentic place 
and with a service mindset that focuses on the fears that people have and to meet those fears and reduce them and then also provide a little bit of hope. But at the same time, realism. You can't say that everything's going to be back to normal. With my clients, I don't say that this is going to be perfect. But I say you can, there's a great quote, it says, when you can find the heaven within yourself, then you'll find yourself in heaven. And so when you can get people to become clear on who they are and clear on what their purpose is, then they can serve others to do the same. That's great. That's great, Berkeley. So, you know, I was reading where um, suicide PTSD is on the mm -hmm. rise significantly after COVID-19. Again, it, it really, th this, to me, this topic is really critical. From right. resignation to resilience, the idea that I could be resigned to a fate and in my head, I start imagining yeah. bigger and bigger giants and, and enemies and monsters um, that really may or may not be there um, yeah. in reality. Most, most of the time aren't there. And that's not to minimize the absolute challenges people are going through. Um, but let's get specific. People that are in that mindset, yeah. that look at their life and everything fell apart. And by the way, I would argue to anybody listening that a majority of Americans are certainly going through it. And everybody's storm in this, in this time is different. You know, there's people that are making money still and, and yeah. their lifestyle hasn't been affected. But there's a lot of people where it has been affected. So how do people that are in that mindset where they're thinking about that, um, first, what drives those suicidal thoughts? Right. And secondly, what can these people do to snap out? I remember listening to Tony Robbins one time and he was dealing with somebody who was suicidal and right. he said, white light. That's all he said. The guy also looked at him like, what? And the point Tony was making is sometimes you got to break the frame of reference. You got to right. break the pattern. So what are some practical things you would offer people that either right. know people or they themselves are really struggling in that regard? Yeah. Yeah. There's something, this is, this is real. And this is something that, that I take very seriously. Communication is one of the most powerful vents. The ability to reach out is, is everything. I think us individually reaching out to people that we know and just setting time weekly to reach out and connect. How are you doing? And it has to be a double how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? And if they're short, then you express how you're doing. You really get vulnerable because vulnerability opens up vulnerability. When I share a fear, you're going to share a fear back. It just all of a sudden, it, it's a level of safety. So if we're in a place where we're trying to take care of others and ourselves, we have to know that we have to be thinking about other people and reaching out to people. I take walks. When I take my walk, I make all the phone calls because it's so important to connect and understand that even people who think they're okay are suffering from anxiety. So many people are waking up with anxiety in the morning now. It's just natural. I do sometimes. What do I do? I go straight to my meditation. I have my morning ritual. This is something that's so important to me because I know what I need. So reaching out is first and foremost, connecting with people. I think that if somebody is, dis you know, is a great, um, right now, telehealth has been exploding, even investing in telehealth. There's a great company called Udify and they provide therapists, coach. This is all online. And so being able to have people take advantage of these things to look, is there any places that I can reach out to, to get digital help? Because anything is something. When you're in a space where you're feeling this kind of darkness or this depression, reaching out is one of the most important things. Just talking about it. When you shine light on a thing, it becomes smaller because the things that make things worse is our thoughts about them. We have the thought and then we dwell. And it's the dwelling that's the avalanche that takes us down the mountain. But if we see it, and as soon as we see it, comment on it, it can't grow. It can't build momentum. 
right? So communication is one of the most important things. Being able to watch these type of things. You said Tony Robbins, watch videos on Tony Robbins. Sad Guru is incredible and providing incredible content. We're trying to provide content. Start to seek, this is salutogenesis, seek solutions as opposed to diagnosing the problems. Because when you're focusing on the disease, the pathogenic, then you go deeper into the disease. But when you start to focus on the saluto, then you start to look for the factors that improve, that help, that build. Beautiful, Berkey. That's awesome. And so for me, this is a poignant time in history. The entire world has been challenged like never before. Certainly right. in our lifetime. I'd argue that it's been 75 years since World War II that we've had such an epic event. Because usually things are over there in another part of the world. Right, right, right. Affecting Absolutely. our little bubble here in America. But now for the first time, we're coming directly in the face of something um, that, could, that could really impact a lot of people. And I already have uh, at least 40 plus thousand people in America have lost their lives in this thing. So um, there will certainly be winners and losers in this. So how yeah. can we choose to be the victim um, or the victor, bitter or better, retract mm. or grow? How can we, how are those uh, that are watching go from resignation to resilience during this time? Absolutely. Great question, man. Uh, this is, and this is that motivation stuff. This is what I, this is what got me into it in the beginning was really just how do you be more optimistic, positive. How do you take advantage of a tough situation and become great? There were a lot of millionaires made in 2008. A lot of businesses started right after 2008, after that crash. There's opportunity here. There is, there is opportunity here, but it all depends upon perspective. You know, Carol Dweck, I think she was in Stanford. She talked about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. The fixed mindset means I am what I am and this is how it's going to be. It's not going to get better. The growth mindset is I am where I am, but I can learn. I can grow. I can see opportunity. These are the ones that will thrive right now. And these ones, it doesn't mean that they're going to just be successful. They're going to experience failure. You know, one of the things I talk about when I'm uh, doing kind of this work on helping people get through this quarantine, I talk about the process of change. You start off with something called uninformed optimism. You have no information, but you're optimistic. Think of New Year's. I'm going to exercise. And everybody's ready to exercise. And then what happens is time goes by, they're not getting the results that they want. They're sore. They're feeling a lot of pain. They don't want to go to the gym early in the morning. They become informed pessimists, right? That's they start true. to think, wow, I'm gathering all this information, all, but this is harder than I thought, and I'm not getting the result. Then they go down to something called crisis of meaning. This is where they miss a session, and they're like, I suck. Why did I miss it? Or I'm not losing the weight, but other people, Joe's losing the weight. I'm not losing the weight. When you're in crisis of meaning, most people crash and burn. When they crash and burn, they stay down there. They kind of commiserate with themselves, their self-pity. And then slowly as the new year comes, they get back up to uninformed optimism. And that's like the, that's the narrative of their life. Uninformed optimism, informed pessimism, crisis of meaning, crash and burn, wait a little bit, build up, and that's a cycle of failure. I talk about this because all of us have experienced it. But what our job is, is how do we get past the crisis of meaning into what's called informed optimism? How do we put ourselves when we have information and are optimistic realistically? And that's really what it's going to take to take a realistic look at where things are. Not this is where things are and what could it mean for the positive or the negative, but just where is it? And I say this with my clients all the time. It's not about the glass being half full. It's not about the glass being half empty. In order to grow, the first thing you need to say is the glass, glass is halfway. That's it. When you can start on neutral, then you can say, how can I get myself out of this situation? What are the things that I can do? When you ask that question, you're already in the optimist place and you're starting to gather information to allow yourself to become that informed optimism. So what do I tell people? This is a growth project time. 
This quarantine should be seen as your opportunity to evolve and to choose one specific area. And here's, I'm going to get into kind of the nitty gritty what I talk with my clients about is what is the simplest thing that you can do with the highest impact? I have a worksheet that I give them where they label what all their growth projects can be and they label how easy it is to attain and how much of an impact. And the goal is to find what can be the easiest with the highest impact and then just work on that. When you work on that growth project with all 100% of your focus, then you'll start to see yourself evolve. When you see yourself evolve, you gain confidence. That's fuel. That fuel then further pushes you up towards greatness. So making small little changes to grow yourself and to understand that you can grow, have that growth mentality is what allows people to push beyond. Because if they dwell on what is wrong, that pathogenesis, they cannot get out of this. They won't. Their mind will consistently push them down and secretly give them a high off of how victim they are. Right. right? Well said. So that's kind of, those are the main things that I would say is are, are most important to, to be able to be optimistic. It's not about being positive. This is not about being positive. Positive thinking actually doesn't work. If you don't believe it, positive thinking actually works against you because you're thinking you're a liar the whole time. The first thing to do is just to be half halfway. This is the situation. This is what I'm experiencing. This sucks. What are the opportunities that are available from this place? You know, one of the things I say too, I'm rambling a little bit, but this is important. I say, if everything around you was a program, everything was a, every person was a program and they would only play their script. They would only run their script. What do you need to do to make yourself happier? If this person is always going to be this way, I'm going to be at this job. This is going to be the situation. How do I put myself in a position to be able to thrive? And if you can take that type of responsibility, as opposed to saying, if they change, then I'll be better. If the circumstances of this world, COVID-19 goes away and the economy like, is blowing up again, then I'll be better. But if you allow people to realize that if they just stay the same, if the circumstances stay the same, what can I do to change? That's when you're empowered to grow, period. No question. That's a great point. You know, it's funny. I, 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 look, at the light, I look at the world a lot from the prism of worldview, right? You got the right. Marvel man who was a tough guy in the range smoking cigarettes with the cattle with the rope right. look at all manly you got the doctors you got the lawyers it's a worldview it's how you interpret the world and i would argue that if you can't go into a deeper meaning of what is important in this time this day and age right and so this pandemic gives us that opportunity if you can't go to a deeper level of meaning of who you are and what brings your value along to the universe and right how you project it, I would argue everybody ends up in, in uh, you know, sort of a uh, identity crisis. I'm no, like, like, think about the businessman who was a CEO, maybe right. lost a job unceremoniously or no longer has that career. He's hanging on to the dude he used to be, the man he used to be, or right. uh, whatever it may be. Um, you can pick any profession. And once you lose that sense of self and your identity wrapped up into that thing, mm -hmm. you have a, a virtual identity crisis. And I'd argue that through, through COVID, there's a lot of identity crisis going on because what gave us value, what our world yeah. was built on that platform, that foundation um, has now evaporated. So now it's forcing us to create um, different kinds of meanings and different value statements and, and different things that are worthy or not worthy. So what are your thoughts on that? And, and how can we think differently about oh, establishing a, a worldview and a foundation that's lasting? Right. This is, uh, you're about, I'm about to geek out right now, man. So we're going into my research a little bit. Um, so, there's something interesting that people don't realize. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I told this in, in, our, in our last conversation. I was saying that I was a musician at first. Everything for me was music. I loved singing, songwriting. I, I loved playing the keys. I loved it. But then I lost my voice. I got a callus on my vocal cords and I thought that I died. 
I thought I was done. I was out of the game. What is there to live for? Because my identity was all held in music. What they found is resilience, which is the word pretty much that you're looking for. How can you teach people to be resilient, right? Mm -hmm. The order to do that is to understand that you have multiple existences. You are not a musician. I'm not just a musician. If I was to believe that, if I lost music, then I lost me. Our problem is we identify with what we do. If we identify with what we do instead of who we are, then we're lost. Game over. You cannot identify in your doing because your doing will change. Case in point, people were working. Now they're not working. They were an industry. That industry's gone. If it's gone, you're gone, then there's no hope. But what happens is if you create multiple dimensions of yourself, and they found in research that people who have more dimensions, more identities, when they have hardship, they're able to be more resilient. Because yes, let's say I failed this test. Yes, I'm a student, but I'm also a son. And I'm good to my mother. I'm also a baseball player. And I love that sport. And because I have all these other identities, the loss of one doesn't have as much of an effect. My work is how do I get you to fall into yourself? Because once you're clear on who you are, it doesn't matter what you do. If it's authentic, it's tied to the vision that you have. And that's all I care about. I'm centering people on the doing to the being. And once they are who they are, then they can do whatever they want. And it'll resonate with who they are. But it requires understanding who you are and not tying yourself to CEO, not tying yourself to this company, not tying yourself even to this family, right? Because if you see yourself as only your family, things happen in our lives that can take us out. Divorce. Right. Thank you so much. This is exactly it. These are the things. These are the times where people are. This is a moment where people are stopping. The world has stopped and gravity is taking hold. And you can either fall and crash or you can learn to fly. And learning to fly requires you going in. It's the internal work. And I've and I've been pushing this for so long. But now a lot of people are listening. This internal work changes absolutely everything no matter what happens with the world you're okay because you know who you are if you don't know who you are then anything that happens in the world affects you i know my vision i know my mission and i know my values and i mean i embody them it's not like here let me recite them i can recite them but i mean i live them out they're on my wall right now in this moment i'm absolutely living out my vision to empower individuals to express their unique greatness. That's the last part of my vision. I'm talking about uniqueness and authenticity right now. We're doing this free conversation to press this out for people to get access to it. I'm living my life purpose in the midst of a pandemic. I win and we all can. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's a matter of keeping pushing forward. So, you know, what you talk about, I think the identity crisis, not sure of who we are. Yeah. I think back and I harken back to Nazi Germany and the death camps. And I'm reminded of a guy named Viktor Frankl who mm. wrote the book, um, Man's Search for Meaning. And this was a guy mm. in the Nazi concentration camps on death's doorsteps, yet he was able to cultivate a perspective. And I would argue something that's way worse than a pandemic, because you know going in there, your yeah. chance to walk out of there alive are almost zero. Yet this guy had the ability to view things in such a way to give it beautiful meaning in those most dire circumstances. So I'd argue mm. it's a couple things, right? It's about really doing the internal work knowing where your worth comes from and not hinging it or leveraging it off of what you've accomplished. And what's funny about society and marketing, we know that the marketeers, um, it's all about, at some levels, manipulation, right? They know yeah. the audience. 
Um, they know their vulnerabilities. They know that people don't necessarily go deep always or, or yeah. work hard. And so every messaging that goes is really, again, I would argue to the limbic rich uh, region of the brain or the monkey brain where it's right. not high level thinking, it's emotions, it's feelings. And unfortunately, they leverage that. And I, I love what you're telling people is go deep, know yourself, find your worth. It's not necessarily in a person, place or thing or money. Right. Certainly in the internal work that you're doing to really drive a different narrative as you think about yourself. And as I think about Viktor Frankl, it's it's fascinating what he was able to do in the most extreme of circumstances. And I think up to that point, he wasn't well known up to that point. He was just another guy going through this atrocious experience. So right. I'd like to get your reflection on, mm. on Viktor Frankl and, and the way he looked at the world. Man, great, great book, too. This is. You know, <laughs> Without sounding cliche, that's what's so tough about this. You know, positive thinkers and positive, like, you know, all these coaches and motivational speakers have really cliched a lot of very valuable truths. But perspective is, is everything. It is, in fact, the only thing. You know, in, in uh, psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, they talk about, you know, a woman sees a dog and she runs in fear. <clears throat> it's not the dog. It's the woman's belief about the dog. Her interpretation is what determines whether she's going to feel fear or not. When I work with my clients, we break it down to the science. Like, how, what, what really are you afraid of? What are you really experiencing? All these negative thoughts aren't because this person didn't call you back or because this happened or because this happened. It's your interpretation of it that has caused it. Your interpretation, your perspective determines absolutely everything. And for Viktor Frankl, his perspective was, I'm going to live. There was no, this is how I'm going to do it. Here are the five steps to living. Here are the, watch my, buy my courses. It was, I am going to live. Right. That's it. The sentence is done. I'm going to live. When you have that vision so set in your mind, forces that are outside of your control start coming in. And that's all my work is. It's not to get you to know the steps. I, what I do is I reduce, I reduce the noise in your head so that your authentic self can gain clarity on what the vision is so that you can move. When that happens, it's game over because you and forces inside of you will, will conspire to make it happen. Perspective is absolutely everything. And when you get clarity on that, then you lose, just like you said, all of those touch points that we think make us great. I did a speech when I was at Berkeley to all the incoming students as I was leaving. And I was saying, if you think this school makes you great, you have it twisted. You're going to make this school great. And if you ended up not going to this school, you still will be great. I love my time at Berkeley, but I know that I brought something to that school, right? I know my value. And when I have that clarity, it's not that, oh, I got highest honors at this school. Like, look at me. Yeah, that for the people who are limbic rich, when they see that, they're like, oh, okay, I'll listen to him now. I'll give him an extra 15 seconds. Great, I'll take those 15 seconds so I can tell you that that school doesn't make me who I am. I am who I am. And that type of clarity then all of a sudden creates this, these new dynamics for new types of relationships. We can create a literal new world where people are all of a sudden connected and engaged, not by what they've done, but by who they are and what they believe in and what their vision is, what they know. When you're on that state, when you're dealing with friends in that type of space, bro, like what you can create is on another level. That's what I'm, that's where I'm, I'm sitting here in this pandemic and I'm like, I got to put out information now because this is an opportunity for us to absolutely evolve because all of a sudden the world has been robbed of its bells and whistles, its trinkets, the things that keep us going on autopilot, 
limbic rich. Netflix is old. When did you ever think that all these streaming services would be too much for people? Like yeah. I've seen it all. So, so now after all of this, the smoke is cleared, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I told you, now let's go, <laughs> right? So you know, perspective is everything. I'm thinking about what you're saying and it's, it's so true that this world is not a respecter of, of performance. This world is not a respecter of your accomplishments. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Michael Jordan struggles with is his inevitable, you know, decline as he gets older as compared to what he was. In fact, he didn't like the statue outside of, of Chicago Stadium because it sort of put him in a time as if he's old and as, as if he's a relic. And right. so I think the things that we build our lives on, the performance, and, and I think it's important to perform and be the best you Absolutely. can be. But if that defines your identity, that's an identity crisis and that's a catastrophe, I'd argue. And I, I, one, of the, one of the quotes I love from Viktor Frankl was, he says, we are no longer able to change. It was, he said, when we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And mm. I would say this, this COVID pandemic is no better example of, right. we're not going to change what's going on with COVID. It is what it is. The people that are going to die, unfortunately, will die. And that's not to be uh, unsympathetic to those people going through this massive ripple. Um, but it is what it is. And the question is, how do we change? How are we better? How can we think about and construct a world that's built on things that last? Right. And that when we get rocked, we're not having a, a perpetual motion of identity crisis, right? Because that's where you get alcohol abuse and drug abuse and all this stuff. Like I got to get numb out. I got to get numb to the reality that I've created because my ladder's against the wrong wall or whatever it may be. I just think um, you're absolutely right. The perspective you give it, the mindset and the meaning we give things. Um, I know Victor Frankl talked about that yeah. and search for meaning, right? The meaning we give things and in the end, we'll ultimately decide if we live or die. We do it prematurely or if we, we touch the face of God in, in terms of, of success in this, on, the, on this life. Right, man. It's, you know, Eckhart Tolle said this amazing quote. You ever read a book or read a quote and you're just like, your brain just almost like explodes. Like I felt like my brain just kind of lifted up and it just looked at it and then exploded. But it said something so simple. It said, perfect peace is being at peace without your version of peace. And I was just like, as I was chewing on it um, and trying to digest it, it's this ability to be okay with things that aren't okay by your standards. Because then that's true peace. Because if I'm peaceful when all that I want in peace is peace, then I haven't done anything, right? It's easy to love someone that you love. It's hard to love someone that you don't like, right? So being at peace without having your version of peace is the highest level of peace. And in the same way, for us to be able to thrive when it doesn't look like thriving conditions. This is where it goes back to that centrist of you. What am I going to do? Just like you said, and Victor Frankl said, was changing ourselves. This is the only thing we have control over. All we can choose is our interpretations. That's it. Everything else is kind of out of our control. The good news is that's everything. Because then you'll find ways to move through the world. I have these things called thought seeds. I just plant them in my brain and then all of a sudden I exist in that space. One of the thought seeds that I have is there's always a way. And I was teaching a class when I was at uh, Berkeley and it was called the internal gem redefining mindset and wellness. And, you know, I would say that this thought seed and I would teach them different thought seeds. And one of the thought seeds that I taught was there's always a way. And then one of the students in the back was like, okay, well, what if you have to run a race and both your legs were broken? And she created this perfect narrative of how it wouldn't work. And I said this, 
Thought seeds are heuristics, they're rules of thumb. Because your mind immediately thought how it wasn't true, A, you get to be right in this moment, but what it costs you in your future is the ability to find that there's always a way. Me, when there's always a way, when I hit a wall, I know there's always a way, so I know how to get past it. I will go to the very bitter end until I can't, where maybe there isn't a way, but I'll get to the very end where I know that it was a circumstance and not myself that stopped me, right? And when I say it's a circumstance, it means I need to move on and pivot. That's perfectly fine. But her mentality was, no, there's not always a way. And because she won by being right in that moment, she has a thought seed that says there's not always a way. And that'll prevent her from getting to go in the first place. We talked about right. that. Right. But it, the perspective is everything. That's great. And I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard of the book, uh, Mindset by Carol DeWick. And I, mm -hmm. it's a book I read and, I, and it really was impactful. And the idea being that there's two types of people. There's ones with a, a fixed mindset. And this could yep. be sports. Pick, pick the genre, pick the totally. involvement. But you have people that have fixed mindset, and then you have the people with the growth mindset. And, and those people, uh, obviously, with the growth mindset are more flexible. And, and, and oftentimes, she said in the book that the growth mindset could be innate in the person or environmentally um, yeah. developed. Um, but nonetheless, and, he, and she looked at people at Stanford that came from very well-off families that had the fixed mindset. And she yeah. saw the difference in performance when mostly when there was setback, when things didn't go the way you thought they should go. Um, and I don't know, if, I, I presume you've read that book because it's, it's pretty well known, but I've read her research. Brought actually. Up a, a great yeah. point on a, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, especially during uh, the COVID pandemic. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. And it's, and I, I, what I do like about what they talk about is that it sometimes could just be, you know, genetic to a certain extent, the way that you're nurture as well, nurture and nature. Um, to, to get to a growth mindset, and I think this is what I love about kind of as, as times have changed, it's no longer I'm this or this, there's a spectrum. And so the question is, where on the spectrum am I of growth to fixed, right? Or fixed to growth. The goal is if I'm here, I just want to get here. If I'm here, I just want to get here. Does that make sense? And the reason that I say that that's so important is because what happens is that frees people from thinking they're right or wrong. There's a great quote that says, if better is possible, good is not enough. And I just want to be a little bit better. as Benjamin Franklin. If better is possible, good is not enough. And so wherever you are on the spectrum, I'm not going to label somebody as, oh, you're a fixed mind. Because in certain areas, you may be. In certain areas, you may not be. Maybe important areas for you financially, you may be. How can we get you to move better? And when I talk and I look at people, no matter who I'm coaching or working with, if you're in the, the worst part and space of your life or you're near the best, if they do this, they're the same person in my eyes because one step is one step, no matter where you are on the spectrum. And so what I say is if you can move towards that growth place, that growth mindset, well, how by reading books, how by watching things like this, surrounding yourself with people who have that mindset, how by questioning your assumptions, how by being self-aware and mindful, then all of a sudden you move to a place where you can grow. When you become aware, when you become mindful, when you take in new information, your brain creates neural networks and the old paths of how you thought slowly dissipate. They don't fully dissipate, but they slowly dissipate. They become weaker. And it's just like a tug of war. If you strengthen this one a little more and weaken this one a little more, obviously you're going to move. And that's what we're trying to get to. If you can take a step towards growth, step, not get to growth mindset, step towards growth. You're in the growth mindset, period.
Right, I think that's right. And I think we'll learn a lot about the character of this country, certainly the world in the coming months right. as we go through this pandemic. And if we view the current circumstances as an opportunity for uh, invention, innovation, deep connections, better values and priorities, um, this can really be a moment that transforms America for the better. Um, and just in conclusion, I'd like to throw out there, um, what would be your ultimate advice to develop this mindset, to take advantage of this opportunity that's yeah. really right in front of us? Right. You know, it's funny, something little just popped in my head. My dad always said this. He goes, whatever you're trying to do in the world, it all comes down to homework tonight. And so as grand as my vision is, I say my head is in the clouds, but my feet are on the ground. That's why I wanted to do research in this. I don't want to just read motivational books. What are, what's the psychology of behavior change? I needed to know that. So feet on the ground advice. Build a routine right now in this quarantine. And it sounds like it's so small relative to all the other things. But one of the most powerful things I say in the world is if you can connect your yesterday's intentions with today's intentions, you're a powerful being. If you can connect your today's with tomorrow, you're a very powerful being. But if you can connect your yesterday with today, with tomorrow's intentions, you'll take over the world. Mm. And the only way to do that is to routinize yourself, to build a system. And it's not like this, because I'm not talking about military routine. I'm just saying more than what you've had before. By being able to say, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do these things. For me, my morning ritual goes without saying, I have to do it. My ability to routinize these parts of my life keep me on track. And what that does is every time that I'm successful, I've made a contract with my past self and my present self has fulfilled it, which is called integrity. And integrity built upon time is character. And when you build that character, you can do things that you never thought that you could. So start small, build a routine in this quarantine space. What can I commit to consistently? And it doesn't have to be all this because you'll discourage yourself if you don't do it. Set a routine for something. This is what I'm doing right now with my clients and through my Thrive 19 group. Set a routine of something that you know you can succeed at this week. Then let yourself feel the wind and then build from there. That's awesome, Berkey. That's, that's, uh, you're dropping wisdom bombs again. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Absolutely, man. So listen, uh, in, in conclusion, I just want to let the uh, Beyond the, uh, audience know that we'll be back on next Monday at 12 noon again. Yep. Uh, a lot of topics we want to talk about and really bring in your uh, research and experience, Burke, and, and really sharing with people strategies to think differently about these times and, and, it, and ultimately to have the best springboard out of this situation because it will end, this too shall end, and life will go on eventually in a different form. And yep. I would argue that with the right ways of thinking and strategies, uh, we can come into it uh, a little bit more graciously, shall we say. Absolutely, man. This is a great time. Always glad to, to, to be a part of this and, uh, and just sharing a good conversation. Awesome. Thanks for coming on.